Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a global original podcast. I'm Al, that's JK, and this is the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. Coming up on today's show, we are talking to Marvin, the founder of Dope Black Dads, to get an insight into what life is like as a black dad in the 21st century. Nice. Thing is, thanks, man. I don't know, Marvin. Because obviously you've you've done this interview, because I wasn't there, you you know, as I never am. True. Um, True. Marvin's a legend, and what he's doing is is incredible. He's providing a, a community, a community space, a safe community space for um, the black dads of the UK in particular. I don't know whether they're global, actually. Anyway, particularly the UK, to you know, to just be kind of sharpen each other, become better dads. So what he's yeah. doing is awesome, and um, and I know that we are doing um, you know these summer episodes. They're a little bit shorter, so. Yeah. We'll just get straight into it, shall we? Okay, let's uh, let's find out what uh, Marvin and Al have to talk about, because I wasn't there. I feel like Billy No Mates. I don't have any friends anymore. Al's got his own secret little club. Um, and here's the interview. I'm, I'm not I'm not bitter. I'm really not. I love you, JK. Shut your face. User. Welcome back to the Don't Tell Your Mum podcast. Um, as promised, we are joined by Marvin Harrison, uh, found, founder, CEO, leader, founder, um, all-round all round guru of, um, of Dope Black Dads, um, which is an incredible podcast. So if you haven't um, checked it out yet, then you must do that. Um, you're on Spotify, iTunes. Yeah, wherever you get your podcast, with it. There you go. So, um, so yeah, definitely check that out. Um, but thanks so much for joining us. Um, how's it going thank you so much for the invite it's been going really well um i really appreciate you doing this this is a uh, this is fun i like talking to other dad groups because we have war stories that are completely the same and then we all i always learn something so it's always fun to have um time with, with other dad groups. i know what you mean like you know obviously we've been we've connected um via facebook um and the programs that those guys are doing um, to help out communities in in the UK and beyond, and um, and it is like you say when you just get in a room with other groups of dads or other dads, there's always something to learn um, because it's it's a minefield, right? Like being a dad. How, how do you describe it? I'm fascinated. How, how would you like try to encapsulate it for someone if an alien came and said, "What's this dad thing you speak of?" <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I guess like it's responsible for another human being <laughs> to raise them, to teach them. Um, I don't know whether I do a good job of it at all. Um, but 
I guess. Do you know what? No one's ever asked me that. That's a great question. What would you say? Well, like my wife says this thing where when you're parenting, you're either, you're either creating the next Obama or you're creating the next murderer. So like when you put it in that context, it kind of really like sobers you. It's like, I would like to create more Obamas, please. Is that possible? I'll take Obamas for 500. And so the, the, it is that big of a deal. And, you know, the middle of parenting, which is people trying their best and, you know, whatever the outcomes, it's that, that's okay. It's when the, the higher end or the lowest end of parenting, which is the massive problem. Yeah. Parents that try to do too much and they suffocate their children with like excellence and stuff, that's a problem. And yeah. then there's also those parents who are like so dismissive or so relaxed that their kids are like walking around with needles. That's a huge problem. The kind of parent in the middle, they're just the good dad, the good mom, trying, experimenting, figuring it out, supporting their kid. That, those ones are the, are, are, are the ones that I really spend more time with uh, and make more space for because they actually have like a purer vision to it rather than like what kids must be and must do versus like not being anything. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I feel as well, as someone said recently that it, someone said that they feel like they're doing a terrible job and is anyone else of the same mindset? And, and one of the replies in the community was that if you are asking yourself that question, then you're doing better than a lot. And like being in that middle and being aware of this end of the Obama end of the spectrum and, uh, you know, the murder end of the spectrum, just being aware is is half the battle because ends of those spectrums they're just tunnel vision and they're not really looking at the the broader spectrum and the broader picture of of what fatherhood is and should be so yeah there you go so so, so we're we're basically better parents than everybody else and we should be celebrated i I would like i think when i go what i want is i want one of those really big headstones that i see in those old school cemeteries just a tiny statue not a full-on one just like a tiny a garden one, a garden size one. Just like Marvin is laying rest here. He did some good parenting. <laughs> did some good parenting. I like that. Just the, the word some is, is the, the key word there, right? Some, some. He did, he did enough that I'm still here and he's in my garden. Yeah, exactly. I, I my kids do it. One of the, let's dive into Dope Black Dads in a minute, but one of the questions that we tend to always ask is about legacy, which yeah, is a bit yeah. morbid, but seems as you've already taken us down that route, what, um, what legacy are you, would you like to leave your kids with? It's one of those interesting things because a part of my discovery is, is not attempting to have a legacy and, and especially not trying to make my kids a part of that legacy. Is that I, I, I think that's something I've discovered that I'm now comfortable with. It took a minute that my children aren't mine. I don't own them. And so everything I give them is a gift and hopefully they take the good parts and they really move past the bad parts. But as you may know, when your kids, they watch you in such a way, they see everything. Everything. So they really just take in the whole of you. And I don't know if I feel like there's a legacy in there. I feel like that's the kind of selfish part of me, which is like the egoic part of me that's like, I'm so amazing that I'm going to create a legacy through my children. But then that also means that they would have to do things based on what I think is the best things for them to do. You'd have to match up to my values. And I kind of feel like I don't think that's a good idea. I think they should have their own for their times, for the things that they care about. You know, they're a byproduct of my environment, but they're not me. And so, yeah, moving away from like ownership of them and their, their, what happens to them after I die or what happens to them as them as adults Mm -hmm. is a really healthy way to see someone. Because then I listen to them when they tell me who they are. Because I don't have a pre-designed idea as to who they are. And yeah. it's a bit hokey-cokey, but it works. My son now is more confident, you know, much more handsome, much funnier. 
you know, he's smarter than I am at four years old. He's just like, he's a hybrid of everything that I thought I wanted to be. So I, I, I can't take credit for that. I'm just yeah. grateful. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and it is always very embarrassing when you realise that your four-year-old is smarter than you. He's smarter than me. He knows I get, stuff. I get caught out all the time. Me out on my stuff all the time. But you do that, Daddy. And I'm like, just look, go to bed. At <laughs> 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 five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just, just have a <laughs> <laughs> I like that. No, you're raising your children to be individuals, to be who they are. Um, and like you yeah. said, they're not us they're not me um i like that there you go well let's let's dive into dope black dads tell me about um or tell me about dope black dads in in just one or two sentences and then i'd love to hear the story about why why you started it so dope black dads is a digital safe space for black fathers is there to support male parenting mental health and masculinity so for me that's the container which daddy and comes from and so if you fix those things, Daddy and just flourishes out of that container. Um, so, that, so that's what it is. Um, the story of it was, was actually, it's, it's a sad story, but it's, it's now not anymore. It was at the time. It's one of those stories where, and I think every dad can attest to the moment where you're not sure what the hell you're doing. And you realize that what you've learned as a father or as a man to do as a male parent probably isn't the best thing to be doing. And then you're like, how do I make this work? What role do I play? How do I support my wife? Um, how do I actually get to see my wife, high wife, the woman that I met and love very much and married? Let's spend 15 minutes of you uninterrupted. You know, that, that all of those things create like an environment where people just don't enjoy it. And, you know, we're not trying to like blame mothers for not doing something. We're just like, I'm realizing as a man, as a dad, this isn't fun for me. And as we did a poll actually, and one of the polls said, that I think it was 38% of dads didn't feel like a father until toddler. Until they had a toddler. That's like three to five years old. That's when they discover like, oh, I'm a dad, I feel it. He talks to me, he likes me, he jumps on my back. Other than that, you're kind of like the person that passes the thing, that drives people places, that pays for the thing. That's your like role in, 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 the, in the ecosystem and you want more, you want it to be more meaningful. I want it to look as amazing as my wife makes it look and like and that you can miss out on a lot there you know if you if you're if you're talking toddler what two and a half three you've missed two years there of potential discovery yeah all of that but one of the things that i think i think the the, the, the gift of masculinity what men can give I think works better later on. I think their actual gifts, who they are, they obviously play a role and you should be as front on front line. You should definitely try and spend time. You should definitely try and do like overnights on your own. Like all those things you should try to push as early as possible. But the reality is like what our gift is, is the second half of parenting. That's where we kick in. That's where we get our muscles. We just got to try and have fun in the earlier parts too and, and like contribute and be more proactive in the earlier parts as well and not, and not be shied away or deterred yeah. because we don't feel like that's what men should do so what what's so what does what's dope black dads doing to combat that uh, you know presumably and i don't want to put words in your mouth but presumably a lot of that is through discussion and conversation but what tell me about how um you know you guys are are addressing yeah. so so our, our model is based on four steps and the first step is healing and so the healing part is a lot more to do with the racial identity part so reconciling racial identity as well as masculinity in a healthy way is, is the first part of what we do. So bringing everybody in and creating a container with like a rule slash framework 
that everyone has to live to. So it's not a free for all. It's not like my ba- my mother of my child is a da 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 and just say that every day. We don't. We're not interested in that. What we want to know is like, what are you going to do about it? And so people share their challenges, but the the framework is you have to say what you're doing about it, what how your impact. You got to own it as a personal thing rather than as like this woman out there doing something. And I think that's a really good way to start. So the healing part is being in a community, being surrounded by other men, being held to count by other men like a council. Yeah. Um, the second part is inspiring them. So giving them like seeds of like what you could be, whether that's like in your job or whether that's in your home, whether that's with your children, are just planting seeds. And then there's like an education part where you're like, how do we like, improve outcomes on the big topic? So t- today, this week, domestic violence is huge. There's some, someone in our spaces has um, been known to um, be violent with women and it's now come to the forefront. So we're dealing with that, not only as our, our safe space in a container with him in it, it's about what we do as a community and how we heal that and how does the victims feel and how survivors feel. So all of those things are like wider community things. So that education comes with how do you challenge your friend who potentially is being violent in his home? And then the last part is just to celebrate them. It's just to be like, you made it. You've done these three steps. It's bloody hard. It's horrific, actually. We've all cried. We've all hugged each other. And we're trying to be better. And I'm going to celebrate you. And here's post here's us on the podcast you know just celebrating people's attempts on this journey so that four stages we found really works and helps people on their journey and so trying to scale it is now our sort of big thing that we're trying to do yeah and that's the end goal right you know you've got the foundations and now it's to scale that up globally yeah yeah so we're in we're in the u.s uh, we're in south africa um we're gonna we were meant to be in jamaica now but covid kind of impacted that and literally so many countries are reaching out, trying to create spaces and local spaces, whether it's city or countries. And the framework's really easy and adoptable. It doesn't really require us to be there. And so we onboard those people and help them create their own space while we have a giant space on Facebook. But the core of it in locally is a WhatsApp group, which provides that support. And, and are people meeting up as well? I was on the website and, you know, you have events and things and things like that going on, right? Yeah, so we had this amazing event, which got shut down and turned into an online event. But we had this amazing event called a fraternity. So we would have like Ignite Talks, which are like five minute talks on interesting subjects. And then there'd be like a Q&A. But then the second half, we'll do some sort of exercise. The last one we did actually, which was the best thing in the world, is we made everyone walk around in circles, but then stop and like stare at somebody and just look at them and just humanize other men. And, and afterwards, like it's, it's, I, I did it somewhere else and everyone was just like, you know what? I haven't actually looked at a man in his eyes ever. Yeah. Like ever in my whole life. I've never stopped and just looked at his face, his eyes, his nose, and just humanized him. I always kind of see men as like constructs outside. They're just like men. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really nice that people were able to connect and humanize each other. And it, it creates a nice bond. So we do those types of exercises as well. And it really builds an actual community rather than kind of like just a container. Because the container thing is important. But if, if you don't, if you don't have, if you don't experience me, you, you just, you're basing it just on text. And it's just so easy to go wrong. I think me and you who manage spaces are so aware of like people going off on tangents and like having debates and yeah. it's exhausting. It's endless, the acad- academia that's in a space of full of men. Absolutely, absolutely. And most of the time, the, the, the conversation in the comments or in the thread is completely different to what the original post was even about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's just being smart. And I, we, we just ban it. As soon, as soon as you try to be more smart than, like, caring and loving, and it's funny how, like, and that's quite an effeminate thing to say to someone, is, like, 
um, we're not interested in that. We care about how it impacts you, your feelings, what, what's the emotion. If you're not saying that and you're just like, well, I read somewhere in a thing and I've got a video of my WhatsApp group that says that, you know, D- Donald Trump and Boris Johnson are brothers. It's like, we don't care. That's none of our business. All those things are like speculative nonsense and they're just noise. When you deal with yourself, then it's, you know, then we're working and it's fun. That's a, a challenging goal isn't it? You know, when you bring a a large group of men together and then you're telling them all to focus on themselves and to reflect on themselves, that's not easy. That's not easy with one guy, let alone when you're bringing... They they hate it. They hate it. Like being told the framework that you have to live your life by in any space, being told. I'm not sure if it's a thing that men have really had to like reconcile with. So, you know, you're also dealing with men that are heavily impacted from like socioeconomic disparity and all these big concepts that like Black Lives Matter, those whole things made people feel a certain way. So you go and go to that person. Like when when Black Lives Matter happened and it was at its peak, we had to do a Zoom call every day. <laughs> it was like, right guys, we're doing a Zoom call, everyone jump on. And then people would jump on and just let it out because they were like trying to type their frustration. And you could feel the like anxiety and, and, and anger of yeah. how we're being talked about and how we're being experienced. And, you know, and if, if you spend time with like, black families, this is the same as your family. There's actually not very many differences. When we did our, our Don't White Dads podcast, it was like, we're the same. <laughs> it's just this tiny corner of the experience that requires a little bit of a different approach. But the rest of it's the same. I would love Don't Black Dads to end and it just become the Don't Dad project. So, I mean, I'm interested in that because there's this notion and like i'll give you i'll give you a little bit of context we were we we had um we've got a really strong community of of same sex dads mm. and they came to us as as a team of admins and said look we would like to create our own group and dadsnet has a lot of subgroups we've got um cooking dad diy dad sports dads and they wanted an lgbtq dads and uh, and there was a, a big debate around that because i was thinking well hang on a minute do you don't you just want to be dad? Why, why are you identifying as a gay dad? Why aren't you just a dad? Um, and, and in the end, it, we, we, we set up a group. And, and like that, 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 your comment just then, I think, was I'm curious, to, um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it about whether, like you say, you don't want dope black dads as a, as a long term but in the short term, necessary. I, th- I, think, I think the thing is that, so the 80% that we are doing exactly the same is a great 80%. And it's a strong and loud 80%. But that 20%, our lives are completely different off, yeah. because, off the back of that 20%. And it's sad that it's so small in comparison to like the rest of us. Because as you know, you meet somebody from another part of the world or another part of the country or another ethnicity or religion, and you just connect with them and you don't think about it. In the proximity, I never think about it. It's only when I have to deal with an institution or I got to deal with, you know, a formal government agency, or I got to deal with a business or at my job that I then become really present to what my presence means. Mm-hmm. And so it, I wish it didn't matter, but it really, really does. And so what's important about separating those people are is that trying to heal, reconcile, understand your experience amongst everything else that's going on you just get squeezed out because the heteronormative part of parenting is that everyone assumes it's a mum and a dad. Everyone assumes that it's like, these are the dynamics and she doesn't do this and da 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 da. And even when you ask questions and you write posts, it's like, you know, when she and the mum, and like, if you're an LGBTQ dad, you're like, that, that's not my experience. And I now don't feel seen in this space. 
And so they need their own space. They need empowerment to go out and show us and educate us while we're listening as admins so I can get better at supporting them as well. But until that happens and where everybody's like, you know, we change the pronouns and things naturally and, you know, baby daughter, um, uh, what do you call it, mother-daughter parking spaces include men or something. Until that happens, there's always going to be a thing of, like, we need our space to, like, reconcile and to make sure we're seen and support us for our very specific part of our experience. I guess, practically, what the unique challenges that black dads face in the UK? Yeah, so I, I would say where, where the, the challenge is, if you look at any major uh, metric of happiness, success, prosperity in the UK, the U, most, most, most countries are outside of Africa, you see the disparity that we are overly impacted based on you know, our percentage of us in, as a population on all the things negative that happen in this country, whether it's people dying from COVID, contracting COVID, um, stop and search from COVID, being fined from COVID, um, the racial, the even the curriculum, which completely excludes the true story of what happened in Africa. It's like little things like that. Like if you don't understand how Africa became Africa, it's really hard for you to be empathetic when you look at Africa, unless you can look at it through the lens of like Childline or Comet Relief. People think that's Africa. And when we show them what Africa is and what it was, it's like, they almost like don't want to believe. They're like, oh no, the Egypt was done by like, you know, Arabs. Like, well, no, it wasn't. It was before that. And so couldn't have been. And like, and if you don't know that, it's not in your curriculum. You don't understand that Caribbeans were invited to Britain to help rebuild Britain after the war. And we had like our, the queen on our wall. We really bought into this idea of Britain. And then we get here and Windrush happens and you start sending people home because you're kind of done with them. That's huge. That's like, you know, that's nothing to do with how black people are behaving. And I think black people are this or that's just the system, the government, the people who are supposed to be looking out for us, doing their best and smartest to crush us in little ways often. And so for me, it's like reconciling with that thing is a real difficult thing. And it requires skill. It requires empathy. It requires time, um, space that we don't have. Because when you work at the lower impact, lower paid jobs, you don't have the financial freedom to just to say, I'm going to take today off. You have to work through COVID. You've got to drive the bus. You've got to work in the hospitals. Then you contract it and then you die. And then what happens, how, the, the impact of someone dying in your family emotionally, but also financially is huge. It sets you back. And so we're in that cycle at the moment. And my, our organization is about what can we do and then what can we ask for from a powerful position? And I don't want to keep asking Boris because he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. It's, it's his actual philosophy to not believe. It actually seems to be a conservative policy to not believe. And I don't want to get into debate about left and right wing. It doesn't actually matter. I'm just looking for good human beings who are seeing something isn't quite right, have read something, it's like, oh, and they want to know more. Come listen to our podcast, come listen to what we're saying, and we will show you what's going on, but also show you the work we're doing and what role you can play. And I think that's, that's, that for me is what I call workable rather than like who's right and who's wrong. And because you're never going to get anywhere with that discussion. No. So, so in your community, you know, day to day, you have people coming and sharing these 
their own personal experiences and their own situations of of feeling like persecuted or you know experiences of people being racist or in the workplace and wherever else and having like you're saying having to work through covid whereas their neighbor who's also doing a similar job isn't or whatever those conversations are happening every single day and i think that I, I, the reason i want to ask that is because i think it's important the people are aware that these conversations are happening if they're happening. Yeah, they're, they're happening every day and they're accelerating. Um, there's a lot of passion around this topic at the moment. I think people are feeling really much othered. Like we saw this week on BBC, just like two people using the N-word fragrantly on the news and then like trying to justify it with like editorial guidelines. It's like the people that have approved that aren't black. So how can someone who's not also not black try to use that language on national TV at 10.30 a.m. in the morning? That could never happen to anybody else. And it's, it's, not, it's not okay. And, and, and we're having to like, rather than focus on ourselves and make better outcomes for us and our families, we're sitting there trying to like explain to people that you can't say the N-word on TV. And I kind of feel like that's like obvious. I feel like that's something that we might have discovered 40, 50 years ago and been like, oh, we can't say it. Like, you know, when they used to be at the shows, Rising Damp and all the shows on Channel 4 and ITV and BBC, they used to just use offensive language about black people while black people were in the scene with them, just like calling them all sorts. We now understood that's not okay, but then don't go backwards. So, And I feel like this is where we are. It's like we're going backwards on very obvious things which take us away from the work that we're doing. So our spaces right now aren't the best. Like, it's not a joy right now, but... The moments that we're creating outside of that are amazing. I, I, love, I love the community we've created. And I love when we reach out to other people and we're getting this incredible response from our allies. We're getting this incredible response from some institutions. And we just got to keep doing it. It's like we want a better Britain. So we have to, we have to fight for it. It's not going to be given to us because those who benefit from it as it is don't, are not going to be urgent about changing anything to help other people. It, it works for them. So that, that's the challenge. What, what resistance do you have? To what you're doing you know you've mentioned kind of the the high end of um political stance you know that that's obviously resistant but what kind of i guess is there more resistance kind of grassroots and you know at the at ground level the, the saddest thing is is that I, I grew up in hackney in in the 80s late 80s and 90s and, and, there, and there was a strong resistance of like the national front in shoreditch for example there was a national front headquarters there and we've been chased called monkeys and all that kind of stuff by them it's, it's happened but the first ally to do to be stand with us was my white working class neighbor. They were not having it. They were like, absolutely not. I remember them coming out with bats and like chasing off people, like being like really supportive. And somewhere in that, that seems to be lost. Like it just, it, it's like that standing by seems to be lost. And there's another focus, which is like, maybe it's our fault, or maybe we want this to happen. Maybe the police are doing a great job. And it's like, if you've never interacted with the police where you're just minding your own business and then you get them like surrounding you and like basically yelling at you, tugging at you, speaking at you from all different angles and what that feels like to happen maybe three times in a week, you know, if you don't know it, it does, it sounds alien to you because it would never happen to you in a million years. It would never happen to you. And so those things that we try to explain, seem to be getting lost and falling on deaf ears with the working class Britain, who I always felt has been, and probably still is in many ways, was our, our biggest ally. They were the guys that were like, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't mess with Western Minister either. They were like, nah, we don't, you know. <laughs> and we used to spend more time together, play football, we were staying in each other's houses. And, that, and that's the Britain that I still remember. So there's a piece of me living in like an optimistic place 
where like, you know, we're doing VE day and like eating jelly and ice cream and we're playing football until the lights is too dark and having a really good conversation, being at each other's house, teaching me about shepherd's pie, which I didn't eat traditionally in my house. All those things, just like, that's when it was, that's when it was fun. And I feel like we were in decline and there's now a them and us. There's a right wing, left wing. There's a, you know, I don't, I just don't buy into it. I'm not, I'm not into that because every single one that I know in real terms, I fucking love him. I, sorry, I'm swearing on your podcast, but I love them and I just like, I, I enjoy spending time with them and I, that's what I want to get back to. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think that there's, I think that's a nice allied relationship. Yeah. Mm. And the big difference is, is that the, the, the reason why it's not okay to poke fun at black people right now is because the proximity isn't there. Mm. When you were standing with me against the racist and then we were having a joke, you know, it's funny to have jokes about each other's problems and challenges it's like if it's your friend you can have a level of like banter i wouldn't i wouldn't say we go into like extreme racism but there is a level of like oh that's funny ha 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 you this and you know you're dedicating that big ha 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 it's only funny if there's proximity mm-hmm. and if it comes from a place of love a genuine love and you know each other like you're my friend and we're having a, an exchange and we poke fun at some things that aren't really true but are true and so we're laughing about it if you don't have the proximity and you're just on twitter saying this stuff you're just a racist. You're not my friend. So I try to explain that to people. And I think that that also makes them feel difficult. It's like, we have the right to free speech. But I think free speech was really about telling the government that to F off. Like, we need to be able to say to the government and the Queen that what you are doing is wrong and we don't like it and we're going to vote elsewhere and you're rubbish at your job. And we should be able to say that without facing the force of the army, the police and dying. It doesn't just mean that you go up to people in the street and just be like... And just like stay wherever the hell you want under the idea of a belief and just be horrible people. Because then you're just being a horrible person. And the consequence for being a horrible person is important. We need there to be a consequence. That means the job you have or the book deal that you got or the the page that you had gets taken away because you don't deserve to benefit financially from your oppression of other people. Do you see that happening in these instances like you were saying about the BBC earlier this week? Do you see any of those consequences happening? Sometimes, but then sometimes it just doesn't happen and it doesn't make sense. The things that, that, that some people seem to understand and, and, can, and concede is common sense, great. But then there's sometimes when people like clear stuff, like saying the N-word, the BBC's response was really underwhelming. It was kind of like, you know, we consulted the family. The family don't have a right to speak on behalf of black people and, and approve a word going out into the world that impacts us all. That would never happen with any other community. You can't, I can't, if I try to find an individual Jewish person to let me say something anti-Semitic, that would never happen. And I wouldn't even want to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing. I'll be like, no, no, thank you for the permission, but I don't want to do it. Because that's yeah. not, one, that's not nice. Two, that's oppressive. Yeah. And three, is anti-Semitic. I'm, I just don't want to do it. But some people are like, yeah, but we found one person that kind of found it okay. And that, this is the problem of like the, the platforms that, that have debates. They're like, we have one person that thinks this and one person that thinks the other thing. But the other thing is the most stupidest thing ever and fundamentally just incorrect. But they're allowed to debate it for impartiality. We don't need to be impartial about universal truths. We just need to draw the line a little bit. So it's muddy out there at the moment, but I'm just hugging people. <laughs> That's the way forward. <laughs> just hug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you go into that, that rat trap, you ain't, you're not coming out. I want to ask, I want to ask about... Um... 
about kids and parenting just to just to touch on that as well <laughs> but before that i just you reminded me of a story my my stepson he's 15 and clearly he is all about tiktok um because all 15 year olds seem to be um but he was telling me this story the other day and i, and I kind of had to reflect on it before really knowing my comments about how people were lip syncing to various different music and songs and they had the n-word in some of those um uh songs and these these kids essentially were getting banned for lip syncing the n-word over some of the music that presumably they listen to on a um, fairly regular basis so so I, and i i didn't really know what to make of that when he told me so and you've just reminded me so i thought i'd just throw that out there as get you know hear your response yeah yeah from for me if you are a non-black person and you are a well-meaning you just stay clear of the word of course i i don't even say it so i i you know i would stay 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 clear with the word it has no value in society there's no way to add from it there's nothing to deduce from it there is no cool element to it whether you spell it with an er or an a or any other inference of the word the word is a toxic word and i actually the saddest part is it actually has no meaning the actual definition of it is just a racial slur for black people. It doesn't mean anything. Like if you call someone an animal or something, it's actually, oh, we're saying you're an animal. It's just a word that has been created only from hate. And so for me, it has no value. And the fact that some black people use it is a part of the problem. It's a part of the confusion around the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also, but look, some, many black people have been impacted by understanding of their racial dynamics in a way that they can't tell the difference whether they should say it or not. They've come to a really bad conclusion that they should say it. I personally don't recommend it and I always stay away from it. And if you don't want to be confused with racist, don't act or simulate a racist. You just stay as far away from it as possible. Wise words, I think. Let me talk about kids. Your, uh, because obviously this is a dad podcast, <laughs> we, uh, we probably should think about the kids a little bit. Um, tell, me, tell me kind of what you're doing um, as a dad to raise your children in a way that number one hits their uh your kind of um your goal of them becoming their own individual people but also them being aware of their physical identity obviously being um being black um and 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 you know how you are educating them to live in a world where at some point they may face uh racism or um discrimination or or whatever as they grow up how are you what are you doing as a dad and what are you i guess advocating in your community as a dad to combat that so i have two kids two and four and so they're still relatively young but my four-year-old is about to enter school and for me school is the first breeding ground where you start to engage with a system which isn't necessarily designed for you um, and, and we talked about the curriculum er, um, earlier, but there's also this thing about the diversity and representation of the teachers and educators in those institutions. Primary school's kind of okay, it's workable. Secondary school is very bad and it needs updating. But for him, going into primary school, coming from a place where his actual likeness, he's at, it's celebrated obviously at home, his personality is celebrated at home and encouraged to be open. School is about it's a container it's like stay here for these hours so your parents can work because really if we talked about actually producing incredible human beings you wouldn't even have the structure that they have in terms of classes and the types of classes that you do and the methods of learning we spend more time trying to keep 
30 kids in a classroom well behaved than we do actually teaching them anything. So my goal is at some point, he probably will be homeschooled, if not privately educated. And that's not to do with like a classist thing. It's really just about to do with the access to information. He, does, he cannot access the information and have the freedom to be who he is if you're basically trying to look after 30 kids at once. It just isn't workable. The classes are too big. The curriculum is outdated. It doesn't include a true representation of his likeness. So my big thing for him is, and actually my daughter is too, is that I speak to them at the level that they can understand. So I start with my daughter and my son at two, when he was two, was to do affirmations. And affirmations is just saying it's either I am or I can. So I am brave, I am smart, I am kind, I am beautiful. Um, you can also do things like I love my hair, I love my face, I love my skin. And all of those things do is just like create almost like a recording in their head. So if someone critiques those things, they have a script to go back in and be like, well, I love my hair. And I say in the mirror every day that I love my hair. So I don't listen to what you're saying. And it's just to, to resolve them a little bit. And then when it comes to that, I can, it's the, it's the belief that you can do stuff. Like it starts with as simple as like, I can jump, I can run fast. And you know, you do all the I cans, but really what you're then trying to do is figure out when it gets to a point where someone says, because the message I got from my school was, you can't be anything. You're going to work in, you know, uh, Sainsbury's, you're going to stack shelves or you're going to go to jail. You choose. That was my, my breadth of success. And obviously I've managed to overcome it, but many people didn't. And so when, people, when, when they're told that they can't, they need to have a script in their head that says, I can. And they can't be reliant on teachers who probably, and I'm going to be very respectful, some of the teachers have come from unhealthy places and unhealthy situations themselves. Some of them have not been successful in the thing they wanted to do, and it's a secondary thing. There are real amazing primary and secondary school teachers who wanted to be that. That's their life's work. And there's others who did something else, like an acting class, and they didn't work out and then become teachers. Those people potentially may not be the best person to deal with what my son is going through, what my daughter is going through, what children need. Yeah. And so it happens in every industry, by the way. So the same thing for police officers, the same for everything. So it's not special to them. But the point is, is that my children are in that space and they're stuck there and there's very little wiggle room. So if you're going to create a messed up environment, create it for stuff that doesn't matter. Create it for like, I don't know, the people that work at Sainsbury's have a terrible boss who's angry all the time. Preferably he wouldn't be there, but put that angry person in Sainsbury's. Don't put them in my space where I am. Put them in a supermarket. And I feel like kids are very important and they need to be protected and preserved. So my whole message to them is, I am, I can. Give them the script so that they can uh, uh, stand up against any form of oppression and bullying. And school is the first playground for it because it's the first time they leave your space and they go into another person's care for more hours than probably you have them. And that's a big, big shift. And presumably you've chosen, I mean, I'm thinking of my son, he's five, um, and he... He's six, actually. He was six on Saturday. I probably should have realised that. <laughs> he, um, he has already started to say things, I think a bit ad hocly, not really coming from deep within, but already started to say, I don't like my, the way I look. He's gorgeous. But he's already started to say things like that. He's two years at school. And I think it has come from school. You're absolutely right. Um, but, you know, for me, I, you know, I don't want to hear him saying that. Um, and presumably, like the, the way we look physically, black, white, whatever, is a big thing in today's society. You know, yeah, you might not have, you might not look like that supermodel when you're 17 or you, whatever it is. I think that that physical 
affirmation is crucial. And even from this conversation, I'm going to start doing that with my kid. <laughs> but basically, call, call it mirror talk. Don't call it affirmations. Yeah. So they go in the mirror and then they just scream it and get louder and louder and louder. And they love it. My daughter now is like, I am brave. Like she's like giving it everything. And she's, I was like, oh, I love you so much, little one. She's great at it. And, and make it, just try and make it fun. And then they don't really know why or what's going on. They just do it. And then one day it will kick in and they'll probably appreciate it when they're like 24 years old or something. They'll give you the biggest hug. I like it. Um, let's end there. That's a really nice place to end. And, um, and I'm really grateful. Like just, I mean, we've been longer than I had anticipated, but I think it's, I've, I've learned an awful lot actually just through talking, um, for half an hour. So presumably, um, you know, if people want to dive into the dope black dads community, um, then they can, they can search up on, on Facebook and the podcast wherever. And um, yeah, just Google us. Um, you can join our spaces if you're a dope black dad, if not, you can listen to our podcast. Our podcast has literally unlimited amount. We're on a hundred and something podcast now. And so the conversation is extremely vast and varied. Last week we talked about sex, which was which was which was new for us. Yeah. But it got a little bit interesting and people started going into fantasies and stuff. So feel free to listen to that if you want. I'd love to hear what you think. But um yeah, it's it's been great. It's been a great time and I feel like we're we're genuinely helping people, which is the number one thing. And and we and any one of your listeners, if they want to support us, feel free to do so because uh it's working. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, listen, thank you so much for your time um, and your wisdom. And um, yeah, wish you all the best. But, you know, we'll cross paths, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I'm not going to let you get away. You're in my life. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marvin, listen, that was wicked. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, definitely, if you're listening, then check out the Dope Black Dads podcast wherever you usually listen. It's, um, it's a corker, especially the sexual fantasies episode. <laughs> thank you. So there it is, uh, Marvin chatting to Al from Dope Black Dads. So he's got a podcast, which is really, really good. So go and check that out. Um, I take it he's like he's, he's he's Dope Black Dads on Instagram and social media and stuff like that as well. Exactly. Give it a Google and you'll find him. Go and check it out. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, download the episode and share with all your friends. We love a little review as well. Make sure you give us a lovely, a lovely little review. Yeah. They're always good, good yeah, to read. Not, a, on the not a shit one, a lovely one, like you said. Okay, <laughs> that's that's more appreciated if, if that's all right. It just, you know, it just does our egos a little better. You know, we can cope with that a bit more. And you don't want us late at night not sleeping because you've left a shit review. You, 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 oh, what have I done here? You know what's going to happen now, don't you? <laughs> Why have I done this? Why have now I Now we're going to have a lot of shit reviews yeah yeah well anyway uh, <laughs> quick just stop talking i'm, I'm gonna stop talking until next time quickly <laughs> goodbye <laughs>